It's New Comic Day, Wednesday, May 27th, and you're listening to the God and Comics Podcast, the only place where you can find incense made out of radioactive spider venom. On this week's episode, Villains! We talk about our favorite rogues, nemeses, and all-around evil characters. What makes a great villain? Why do some frighten us more than others? We'll answer these questions and others, so grab yourself a seat, twirl your mustache, and start thinking about that moment in your origin story when it all went horribly wrong, and how you'll make them pay. Oh yes, you'll make them all pay. Plus, as always, we'll have recommendations, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm Father Jonathan Michikin, Rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And with me live today is Father Matt Stromberg. I won't ask where are you because you're sitting right next to me, Uh, but uh, where are you normally? What's your gig? Well, I'm the curate at Christ Church in Cooperstown, New York. Okay, well, it's really great, uh, Father Matt, to have you here, and ashamed to not have Father Kyle in the in the studio, known as my office, with us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, great to have you back, Father Kyle. Last week, we understand, or last time we recorded, uh, you were very busy uh, killing wild animals somewhere in the Arctic Circle. I believe was what was happening. That's exactly so, right. Yeah, did that? I, that I had well? turned into Kazar. Well, very good, very good. <laughs> the Savage Lands. Yeah. Let's get right into some recommendations. Um, Father Kyle, why don't you go first? Sure. My recommendation this week is uh, Batman number 40, which is done by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, and it's the conclusion of the Endgame storyline that was running through the Batman stories for about the last six issues or so. Um, I point this one particular issue out, highly recommending that you read all the issues of this story to get the full effect. But uh, as I mentioned before, Scott Snyder has been working on the various components of Batman's life. And this particular issue and storyline are devoted to the end of Batman's career, at least for the present moment. Um, And so this particular issue deals with Batman's final confrontation with the Joker. And I don't want to say a whole lot about this issue because I want to leave something for you to read, but I would say that all of the conclusions that you could ever imagine as happening between Batman and the Joker happen in this issue. And things very quickly take a turn in the Batman world and will be taking a turn Um, with the free comic book day issue divergence that was put out by DC comics in which they take the next step in Batman's life. And uh, we'll be picking up with a new storyline in Batman 41, but Scott Snyder has been very visionary in his writing of Batman over the past several years, um, beginning in detective comics and working on the new 52 um, Batman title. Um, He's added some elements that, are unique and different for the Batman character. And I think challenging in some ways, having been a lifetime Batman fan and reading for the last 36 plus years now, 
Um, he's brought some different things to the table. So I would strongly recommend if you have any interest in Batman whatsoever that you go out and find Batman number 40 and read this climactic battle between Batman and the Joker. Father Matt, what do you got? Well, I'd like to recommend uh, a comic that has been around for uh, quite a number of years now. And it's uh, it's one of the best kept secrets of, of the comic book world. It's uh, published by Dark Horse, and it's uh, it's called Concrete. And many of you may know Concrete. It's had a, a cult following for a number of years. It's made by Paul Chadwick, who is the artist and the writer and the creator of Concrete. And the 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 book that that I'm going to recommend in particular is Concrete Volume 1, The Depths, and it's available in, in trade paperback form. Just so uh, to give you an idea of who the character is, this is not a superhero book. Um, it, has, it has some similarities to a superhero book, but it, it, it's more of a, a, a human drama. It has a great deal of realism, now, you're going to laugh when I describe sort of the setup for the character because uh, the setup is sort of spectacular. Um, but, but from there on, it, it's pretty realistic. The character himself is, is a guy named Robert Lithgow, and, and he and a friend were abducted by aliens when they were on a camping trip. And their brains were transplanted from their human body into this into these sort of hulking bodies of, 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 of a very hard, heavy substance that, that resembles concrete. And, um, well, um, they manage to uh, fight their captors off, and, and Robert alone escapes. But he's not able to get his human body back. And um, before, before all these events, he was uh, a, a political speechwriter. And so um, he wraps himself in a blanket and, and tries to keep himself unnoticed and, and, and gets in his car and drives to the senator's house and reveals himself to, to him. And the senator uses his political pull to sort of um, get him, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, in with the government. And the government protects him, but they create like this story about how he got his concrete body not to uh, unleash hysteria about the alien invasion um they say that his body was produced by the government and that he was uh, a terminally ill patient and that he volunteered his body for science and so they make up this fake story and um then they make him a celebrity because they figured the best way to get people off his back is to have him completely overexposed and trivialized by the media. So he's on Johnny Carson, and he there's toys, and his face is on T-shirts, and and uh, you know he becomes this sort of media sensation. But the the real kind of story is about the man himself and how he deals with the fact that he's living in this extraterrestrial concrete body and um you know there's there's some disadvantages he has he has an assistant a scientist who takes care of him um named maureen vonnegut no relation to the the novelist kurt vonnegut but he's in love with her but of course he could never be with her 
um, because you know he doesn't ha he has his art he has his artificial concrete body and he weighs like twelve hundred pounds and he steps on people's feet and they break and he can't sit in furniture but he can sort of go places where no one else can go so throughout the story you know he does some heroic things uh, he he tries to dig out. Um, a, a, a mine cave-in and you know that doesn't exactly work out as planned he, he tries to swim the Atlantic Ocean um, because he, he, he you know he doesn't fatigue and he could you know, breathe underwater for a long time he's got amazing eyesight so he does all these sort of extreme adventures um, he goes where where a normal frail person couldn't go and he he has sort of all these wacky adventures. He goes on Johnny Carson and he says, you know, what would you do if you were in my situation? What would you do with this body? And so he gets letters and, and sometimes he'll answer the letters. He goes, um, in one of the stories, he goes to help a, a, a family farm that's, that's dissolving. Um, so, it, and, oh, and he becomes the bodyguard of a of a prima donna rock star, sort of loosely based on Prince, and he goes on tour with him, and that that's sort of a really interesting story. So, um, Concrete Volume One: The Depths. So, my recommendation this this time around is Wonder Woman seventy seven Special Number One. DC has been doing this series of digital firsts over the last several years in which they have some comics which they run uh, as digital comics that you can download before they actually put them out as a comic book that you can pick up on the stand. Batman 66 is one of those, and uh, there, there are a couple of other ones. Well, I suppose based at least partially on the success of Batman 66, they've been doing a, a, a mini-series since I think about March, called Wonder Woman 77. And Wonder Woman 77 is based on the 70s Wonder Woman television show that starred Linda Carter, uh, and that is really still, I think, the the iconic image of Wonder Woman for a lot of people, at least people um, in, in our generation and a little before and, and even a little after. And... Uh, they call it Wonder Woman 77 because the show actually ran from 76 to, I think, 78 or 79. But uh, the first season of the show took place during World War II and was a little bit more campy um, and a little closer to the, the 60s Batman in that respect. They re-envisioned it uh, for the second and third season brought it up into contemporary times uh, for, for when it was being aired uh, in the 1970s and made it more of a spy show. Diana Prince, Wonder Woman's secret identity, was working with Steve Trevor as part of this uh, super secret um, American spy agency. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff, a lot of fighting the communists who are secretly trying to take over the world and all of this kind of foreign espionage and, and that kind of stuff. It was a very different show in those seasons, but, but still um, very entertaining. And so the comic is based off of that. It's based off of the, the later seasons of the series. And it is so much fun. 
the the issue that has come out now is a compendium of all of these digital stories that they've been telling over the last couple of months and so it's it's a it's a big fat issue um it's a hefty price tag i, I want to say 7.99 for for the issue which may seem like a lot of money it is a lot of money um but it's almost more like a small trade than it is like a like a single issue it's uh, about 80 pages. It has uh, sketches and things like that in the back, like trades often have. Um, I don't actually think there, I could be wrong about this, but I don't actually remember there being any ads in it. And it's a whole bunch of different writers and different artists who are working on it. Um, and so some are better than others, but uh, almost all of them are a lot of fun. Uh, and what they've done is, even though they've kept the kind of 70s idea, and it's certainly set in the 70s, and the characters look like the actors who portrayed them, so uh, Wonder Woman looks like Linda Carter, um, they have inserted into the story some of the Wonder Woman stuff that has come up since then, or even some of which was, which, which was from the comic before then that they didn't use. So, for instance... Uh, Wonder Woman flies in this comic, which she didn't do before uh, the uh, keen comic book nerds will, will know. Uh, <laughs> before the crisis on infinite Earths in the mid-80s, Wonder Woman did not fly. She had her invisible jet, which she had on the show too, which is probably the most ridiculous thing that was on that show, <laughs> was, the, was the invisible jet. Um, but she actually can fly here. Um, and uh, on the show, they, they had... Um, Wonder Woman unable to, you know, when she was Diana Prince, she like lost her powers, which I always thought was a weird thing. Although they've done that in the comics from time to time, made it so that Diana didn't have powers when she was Diana. Uh, but in the Wonder Woman 77 comic, uh, she's still got her powers even when she's Diana Prince. And she's, you know, busting up into nightclubs and fighting with uh, underground communists and... Uh, uh, fighting for truth and justice and, and what is right. And I am a huge Wonder Woman fan. People who know me know this about me. And the Wonder Woman series, as it is right now, um, I have to say has been really disappointing to me in how it's been overly dark, unnecessarily so. The storylines haven't been haven't always made much sense uh, and and the writing hasn't been up to up to the the par that I would like it to be at uh, and so I haven't really been been reading the regular Wonder Woman series recently I have been reading Sensation Comics which is another digital first that stars Wonder Woman and that's been great but the Wonder Woman 77 is great because it's everything that you loved about the show is present uh, right there in that book and so even though it's a steep price tag, I hope people will go out and buy it because they don't have necessarily a slate uh, at this point for doing more of these. And I would really like them to do more of it. It would be wonderful to have a monthly book of Wonder Woman 77. So if you're even a little bit interested, you know, just think about going and, and, and picking that up. Who doesn't love Linda Carter? Come on. That's right. Everybody loves Linda Carter. So... <laughs> <laughs> wow god bless you that was that was disturbing father kyle <laughs> i think that wasn't a, me. i think a small animal might be loose in your in your place um that's right so 
there we are, Wonder Woman 77. Well, friends, so that brings us to our main topic of discussion today, and our main topic is villains. Uh, let's start with you, Father Matt. What, what, what are some of your favorites, or who is your favorite villain, if you've got one, and, uh, and why? Well, I've been thinking about this. What, at least one of my favorite villains is Doctor Doom. From, from from Marvel Comics. Uh, he started out as, as a villain in the Fantastic Four, but has since become sort of the flagship villain in Marvel Comics. Uh, he's not only the nemesis of the Fantastic Four, but he's also tangled with Spider-Man and the Avengers and just about every other Marvel hero. Part of what makes him so interesting is that he is a, a, a very kind of tortured and conflicted character. He's, a, he's an evil dictator. He's the kind of despot of this small Eastern European nation. Um, Latvia, I think is how you say the country's name. Um, Latveria. Latveria, that's, that's right. It, Stan Lee said he always uh, thought he was fascinating because he was one of the few villains that had diplomatic immunity. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, just as an aside, isn't it interesting that uh, DC always creates fake cities for its heroes and Marvel always creates fake countries for its villains? Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's true. Anyway. I, I don't so. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, so there's this whole Eastern European country. And, uh, and so he kind of has this odd honor code he he's sort of diabolical in that he's trying to to conquer the world but he also has this strange honor code he won't um he he respects the the heroes in which he he um he faces um and of course he has an odd sort of uh respect for e reed richards they're sort of um always been rivals you know since their days in, in college together he was one of the first villains that i was really exposed to as, as a child my my mom told me that when dr doom took my bottle when i was when when she was weaning me from the bottle um, <laughs> and, and you know and you know that was where i went and you know it was dr doom and skeletor um, but Dr. Doom had more staying power for me as, as a character. He continues to be interesting where, where Skeletor is sort of, you know, one dimensional. Um, nah, go after <laughs> He-Man. Uh, so, um, yeah, Dr. I mean, and Dr. Doom just looks really cool with the iron face and the, the green hood. And he sort of combines this like uh you know modern technology with sort of like ancient sorcery he's sort of like a a modern kind of alchemist um which i think makes him sort of a, a complex and interesting character i would probably say that my favorite villain would be the joker uh but it, there's so many iterations of joker that i would have to specify and say that I think my favorite version of the Joker would be the original one that Bob Kane and Bill Finger did yeah, in Batman know. issue number one. I like the fact that he came out of nowhere, had absolutely no origin, and just was a murderer. I, there was something that was dark and menacing, and there was no backstory as to why he began this murder spree that he began in Batman number one. 
um, killing random people, but making announcements about it over the radio prior to actually doing it. There's just something very intriguing about the character in that regard. I think over time, of course, they began to give him some backstory and they began to come up with the red hood background that he had. Mm, yeah. and, and eventually they wound up giving him an identity of sorts, largely based on Tim Burton, Batman, movie, Jack Napier. But I thought all of that in some ways served to uh, demythologize the character as it were. And he's gone through time periods where he's been the jokester and there's been other times where he's um, been much more serious. Um, so I would certainly say out of all of those, I find that particular version of the Joker the most intriguing. I think this is one of the things that I really like about what um, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo have done is in ways they've tried to tap back into that, even though they've touched upon various elements of his origin. They've um, gone back and tried to add some dark uh, elements to him, calling him the pale man and making him potentially have some much lengthier time stay here on Earth than uh, most people would think. Hmm. I would definitely agree. You know, the Joker to me is the scariest villain because yeah. he is so psycho and seems to have no motivation for it. It's just complete uh, anarchic desire to do evil. And because it's just a guy, and yet he's able to wreak such havoc, that to me is scarier than, say, one of the, than, say, the, the really big bad guys, like in the DC universe, somebody like Darkseid, who is this incredibly powerful alien mm -hmm. being who destroys whole worlds mm -hmm. and can, you know, beat the, beat the living stuffing out of Superman and so forth. In some ways, the, the Joker is far scarier than Darkseid because Darkseid is, he's, you know, he's not real. I mean, you don't worry about Darkseid suddenly appearing out of nowhere and taking the place down, but you worry about the Joker might be in the alleyway. Hmm. Also, yes. there's also just, I mean, I think there's generally something creepy about clowns. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that. Um, but uh, especially with, with his particular penchant, the fact that he's painted up like a clown, uh, like, like a figure who would be mirthful for children, makes it that much worse. I, I think one of the things that's compelling about the Joker also is that he's sort of the dark face of our um, our contemporary society, or however you want to put that. And the way Alan Moore portrays him in The, the Killing Joke shows that um, kind of explicitly. He has this sort of nihilistic outlook on life. It's like the world is just meaningless. There's no right or wrong and everything is just a joke mm -hmm. and um yeah and, and and that that's disturbing it's sort of um the kind of not well not motivation but explanation behind his sort of you know amoral uh relation to the world it's interesting to me that that sort of um at least in in, in alan moore's story it sort of mirrors batman you know batman's sort of suspects that the world is dark and meaningless 
but he's going to try to impose, you know, some sort of moral discipline or order onto the world. And the Joker is sort of his his foil, the sort of nightmarish, um, you know, reflection. Uh, you know what what we what we all kind of uh, fear might actually be the case. Yeah, and I think uh, that's that's a really good point because in in the superhero genre particularly because these heroes are so much bigger than life the secret to a good villain i think is not that the villain necessarily has to be bigger than life uh, but that the villain has to be a reasonable counterpoint to the hero that they are fighting and so yeah. if you have a hero yeah. that you know you, they have to be able to plausibly Put the put the hero into peril, and particularly to be able to challenge not just the hero's strength, but the hero's whole world, the hero's whole existence, which the which the Joker does with Batman, because Batman um, has this very strict understanding of morality and of what he should do and shouldn't do, and yet he's always at the brink of it. You know, mm -hmm. he's always gets real close to the line of killing but doesn't actually kill. And what does he do with somebody like the Joker who, you know, really is not going to stop? He, I'm sure he thinks to himself, I ought to kill this guy. It would save a lot of lives if I killed this guy. But he yeah, doesn't want to go there. This is a lot of the interesting tension that's in this whole Endgame storyline that Scott Snyder has. He's really into this fact that um, Joker and Batman are are two sides of the same coin and that, um, you know, how is Batman going to handle this guy? At least for me, the villains that I find to be the most interesting are the villains that don't really think of themselves as villains. Um, the, the villains that think of themselves as great men or that think of themselves as misunderstood um, or that they are doing good uh, in a different way, and so on and so forth. Um, because I think that the line between hero and villain is far more tenuous than we like to give it credit for, and runs down the middle of each of us. And particularly when, when you start bringing up guys who have superpowers, um, the kind of potential for both good and evil springs out all over the place and and it's not necessarily always going to come out in a predictable way one of the books that i wanted to mention is a book called irredeemable have any of you read that or read any of it i've heard of it but i haven't read it yeah it's been very strongly recommended by a friend of mine um yeah yeah it's a it's an amazing book um there are at least seven trades of it out at this point i i've read about five and a half of them it's by mark wade who is the current writer on daredevil um and i think peter kraus is the is the artist on it it's a fascinating story what wade has done is he's created an, an alternate superhero universe um you know it's earth but um rather than having dc characters or marvel characters that we know he's created heroes that are sort of similar that have the same kind of typology as heroes that we know that you know they have powers because of aliens or because of mythology or 
uh, this, that, or the other thing, and, you know, various different types of powers. And they formed this thing called the Paradigm, which is sort of like the Justice League or the Avengers. You know, it's a, a big grouping of superheroes to, to fight against evil in its varied forms. But what's happened uh, at the beginning of the story is that this guy named the Plutonian, who is basically the Superman of this world, okay, uh, 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 of this book. He has Superman-like powers, which is to say he has, in a lot of ways, godlike powers. He can fly, he can shoot heat out of his eyes, uh, he's almost impenetrable, you know, bullets bounce off of him, he can see things down to the molecular level, he can hear just about everything. I mean, if, if somebody is saying something on the other side of the planet, he can hear it. So he has all of these Superman-like powers, and he uses them to help people. And then there's a moment where he just snaps. It becomes too much for him. All of these people, he helps them constantly. He can never stop hearing them asking for help. And they, they take him for granted. They don't really thank him very much. Um, and he's, throughout his life, he's been trying to do the right thing and be good, but he's always sort of barely hanging on because the pressure is so great. One day, he just up and snaps, and Sky City, which is the city that he is mainly associated with, when he snaps, he kills the entire population of Sky City wow. in like a single moment. Huh. He becomes the, the biggest mass murderer in human history and after that happens he just he's just completely loses it and he goes around killing lots of people he starts stalking his friends the former heroes and killing them and um just really becomes this incredibly outlandish villain having been this incredible hero the world's greatest hero and so the story is ostensibly about how they try to stop him whether or not there is something still redeemable, quote-unquote, within him. And what's interesting about it, there's a lot of things that are interesting about it, but one of the things that's very interesting about it is the remaining heroes, as they go after him, you learn as you go that none of them are very pure necessarily either. either. They've all compromised themselves in one way or another, at one time or another, and when pushed against the wall, some of them start to do similar things in their desire to kill Plutonian or to stop Plutonian. They themselves become the very thing that they're trying to, to take out in him. And so I think it's a really great allegory for this reality that within us lies this potential to do good and to be good, but it lives right alongside this potential to do evil and to be evil. And that that is a lot more mixed for us than I think most of us would like to admit. Most of the time, we just sort of want to think of ourselves as basically good people. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I, you know, I make mistakes here and there, but I'm basically a good person. And what a book like Irredeemable is saying is, you're probably not basically a good person. You are a... <laughs> You are a mixture of good and evil, and it's not necessarily clear from the outset which one of those is going to win in the end. Mm. Mm. I think when you look at the the most compelling uh, villains, um, 
many of them have sort of this mixed motive. Doctor Doom, uh, you know, I mean, he started off as as um, a champion of his people, you know, and, and, and his his rivalry with Reed Richards kind of you know leads him down some dark paths. He could have very easily been a hero like Reed Richards, but you know because of certain events in his life, certain decisions that he made, um, he ends up being Doctor Doom instead. I mean, but then there's there's other characters like that as well. There's Venom from Spider-Man. Venom yeah, from Spider-Man is, is 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 sort of one of Spider-Man's most terrifying villains, not least of all because he knows Spider-Man's identity. But um, when you come down to it, uh, Venom, he isn't entirely a bad guy. He has saved sort of innocent people in peril. But he's driven by this hatred for Spider-Man. And it's, it, you know, it's partly explainable. I mean, you know, he's possessed by this alien symbiote that sort of makes him kind of loony and, and, and driven. But and not entirely. I mean, you know, he's a flawed individual. And, 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 and um, he's chosen, he's made the choice to use the power that he has um, to pursue evil and and a lot of a lot of the villains are the same way i mean magneto magneto has this very kind of noble part of his character um he wants to defend sort of the rights of mutants um he his, his work closely with uh, Pro professor xavier from the x-men um in the past but um he becomes caught up in in, in this sort of agenda that's not good you know that leads him to make um evil choices i mean despite the fact that his organization is called the brotherhood of evil mutants <laughs> which i always thought was yeah. a little too you know on the nose <laughs> no one would actually yeah. call their team the brotherhood of evil mutants but um he's not entirely evil he's sort of an understandable and sympathetic mm -hmm. figure in a lot of ways um, yeah, and he even becomes good a good guy in X Men Two Hundred. He right. he takes over the team. Yeah, well, and then there's also you know characters for whom the kind of quote unquote evil or bad guy nature for them is almost secondary to their appeal. I, you know, I think about uh, Harley Quinn, for instance who is theoretically a bad guy. I mean, she's part of the Suicide Squad and, and uh, you know, works with the Joker on numerous occasions because she's in love with him and so on and so forth. Um, and yet, uh, you know, and even, even now in her ongoing series, which I love, um, you know, she's mostly a silly character. Um, but even in the midst of that, she does some pretty horrible things. I mean, she kills people and... Uh, <laughs> you know, gets, uh, gets really angry at people for, for, a very, uh, sometimes good reason, but not good enough to, you know, pull out a hammer and squash their head or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, she's sort of seen as a, a more comical figure, uh, in the midst of that. Yeah. And I, I think it's fascinating with Batman's villains, uh, for the most part, none of them go to jail. They go to <laughs> Arkham Asylum. <laughs> Because yeah. they're all they're all crazy. I mean that, and that says something about like how we understand evil. Well, like, they have a social, you know, maladjustment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, right. is the Joker just crazy or is he evil? 
Um, right. Yeah. I, I think there's a. I, I think you could definitely say that he's just evil. Well, Father Matt, mm -hmm. what is evil? What is evil? Well, here's a good theological question for you. I, I think there's 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 different ways we could think about evil. I mean, um, one of the ways is to sort of think about evil as sort of a, uh, like the mirror image of, of, of good. So, you know, there's good and there's evil. And these are two kind of forces that have existed, you know, for eternity. And they're, they're sort of always opposed to one another. And, you know, if you think about it that way, maybe it's just a matter of balancing out good and evil. Um, and a lot of sort of religious traditions have taken that approach. But I, I think for the most part, Christianity has said that Evil is not a thing in itself. I mean, and this goes back to uh, Augustine, that evil is sort of um, misdirected or perverted good. Um, that, it's a lack. That's... Yeah, it, 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 or, or the absence of good. The um, absence of it. It's, it, it's, you know, it doesn't have a positive existence. It's entirely negative. So, I mean, some of these heroes... You could sort of see, well, you know, Magneto. It's clear that you know um, he's operating out of a perverted sense of righteousness, or even Doctor Doom. Um, but the Joker, what about the Joker? Um, he doesn't. He doesn't appear to have any sort of moral compass, compass at all. So he he's sort of an interesting character to think about the nature of evil. Um, we you know what is I think that. They I think that he thinks that he's doing good and being righteous by controlling his own world and making himself his own God. Hmm. And his way of dealing with stuff in his own world is to put to death all those people that cross him or um, are problematic in his life. Yeah, or, or, or that, you know, he's out to show, to, to you know, pull off the mask of... of of meaning from from the world and to mm -hmm. expose it as essentially meaningless, um, mm -hmm. you know, and and somehow he sees that as his sort of his mission in life. He's the Joker. It's all a big joke. But you know that fits with the Augustinian understanding of evil too. Even, I mean, I think that the the villains who see themselves as somehow heroic fit with that Augustinian model because there is you know not a complete emptiness within them they are they are pursuing what they believe to be righteous and good uh but they don't they don't actually see or they don't actually perceive their own uh, uh corruption hmm. whereas the joker seems aware of his own corruption but i think in a character like the joker what you see is the way that the corruption of evil can be pushed to its furthest, most limit, so that if evil really is the absence of good, and you have a character like the Joker who essentially thinks, uh, or at least in the Alan Moore version of him, thinks that the world is in and of itself empty of meaning, right? Empty of purpose, empty of a sense of good and evil, you know what you're what you're encountering there is the culmination of evil the culmination of evil is a complete loss of everything right because mm -hmm. ultimately that's what evil is it's it's everything that exists disappearing 
It's mm. all structure, all reality, all of that falling away. And so when you have a character who gets to the point where they say there is no such thing as morality, there is no such thing as good and evil, there is only what I choose to do and don't choose to do, you're seeing right there how the corruption of evil works, at least in, in an Augustinian um, mind frame. Hmm. Sure, and then you get back to that point where you become your own god. When you determine your own morality, then you become God. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of self... The, the Joker's completely self-absorbed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and driven by his own madness. What about someone like Galactus? Now, is Galactus... Um, and, and, and um, you know, I'm assuming you guys are familiar with Galactus from the Fantastic sure. Four. Is Galactus a villain? He's a god of some sort, right? I mean, he's a planet-eating god, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Galactus is sort of this, uh, you know, cosmic figure who's sort of beyond good and evil. Um, he's sort of a force of nature, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and there's this wonderful line from this, the, his original appearance in the Fantastic Four where he says, you know, do you think about the ants that you tread under your feet? He's like, mm. um, you know, this is just what I do to survive, you know? And, and um, you know... He's he, just hungry and eats people. Yeah, yeah. It's just part of the... It's like the food chain, the cosmic food chain. He's sort of, a, he's sort of this idea of natural evil. Well, so you could bring into this, we already introduced Augustine, you could bring into this Thomas Aquinas, who adds a certain dimension to the Augustinian understanding of good and evil, um, and particularly when you're talking about is something sinful or not, Thomas says that there is an element of intention that is a part of that, so that you can potentially conceive of an action that is evil but not necessarily sinful in the same way um it's it's it you know the intention of the action itself isn't necessarily meant for evil and uh, so on some level that affects the culpability of of the person perpetrating it uh, and yet it is in some sense an intrinsically uh evil action right mm-hmm. um think about um somebody who is forced at gunpoint to um, uh, choose whether one person lives or dies, right? Or something like that, you know? Um, and they they make some sort of impossible choice in that situation. Um, th- they're, they're doing something because they're being forced to do it. They don't have any actual agency in doing it. Mm. Um, and yet the action itself itself is still evil. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, it's complicated by the fact that Galactus is an intelligent, you know, agent. But, you know, I, I sort of think Galactus is like, well, like, um, what he does is evil in the same way that we might say what happened in Nepal was evil. Mm-hmm. It's sort of nobody's fault, at least not directly, but... It shouldn't be. It's sort of part of the, the you know, 
the the natural fallen universe or world or, or, or whatever galactus is a part of that it, it shouldn't be the fact that um that you know the 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 strong have to prey on the weak um but it's it's part of the way of the order of things is it evil well you could it's say the brokenness I mean, of sinful creation yes right that's what i was going to say i mean the fallenness itself is really that becomes the root of it so you're talking about something like the earthquake in Nepal or, or um, uh, you know, some other sort of natural disaster, and is that evil? Well, it's evil in a different way. Um, you're not going to say, well, so-and-so is responsible for that. Obviously, nobody's responsible for an earthquake um, or for a hurricane or, or, you know, for something like that. And yet, the evil itself, uh, all of it, in at least in a Christian framework, comes back to the uh, the original fall and the mm -hmm. choice of our earliest human ancestors to want to be their own gods, which corrupts the world, right? Because at least from a Christian perspective, God's intention is to create a good world and a world that, mm -hmm. that is good from the start, that doesn't have any evil in it from the start. Um, it's mm -hmm. only the choice not to love that, um, that makes... It possible for evil to exist in all of its forms and from there it becomes uncontrollable hmm. well that was deep <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there's a lot more that we could say about this and we didn't even really list as many villains as i thought we would but um you know tell us who your favorites are you know hit us up on twitter or on the facebook page and let us know um who your favorite comic book villains are and why we would love to hear from you but now we're going to go to our final segment which is called this or that this or that this or that come on everybody let's this or that huh? okay father kyle take it away all right this first one is for father matt and this one is the red and blue spider-man or the black spider-man from early on, I always had a thing for the black suit. All right, Father Jonathan. A tab collar or a dog collar? I believe that the tab collar is, in fact, ontologically superior to the dog <laughs> collar. I'll let you all look and why up. why is that? I'll let you all look up the word ontologically at home. <laughs> um, the, the, the tab collar, so what... what uh, what Father Kyle's talking about for those of you who aren't priests and don't have to buy clothing to make yourselves look like priests is that uh, when you buy a clergy shirt, um, you know, your standard black clergy shirt, there are two types of collars. There's actually more than two, but there are two uh, general types of collars. One is, uh, at least these days, one is the full collar, which is the white goes all the way around the neck the white at the top. The other is the tab collar, which is that you just see um, maybe an inch or an inch and a half of white in the center of the neck, and the rest of it is, is black like the rest of the shirt. I, I prefer the tabs for two reasons. One, because most people recognize you as a priest a little more easily with those. That's more the, the image in the popular imagination of what a priest looks like. People aren't always sure what what you are when you walk into a room with the full collar on, especially if you're not wearing a jacket. If you're wearing a jacket, it usually 
comes through. But but otherwise, they're like, well, that's an interesting outfit. Um, <laughs> I had somebody once at a Dunkin' Donuts. I was getting a sandwich or something, and the guy said, are you a lawyer? And I... <laughs> oh, boy. So um, uh, there's that. But I also just think that they're generally, like, way more comfortable Especially when oh, you're yeah. when you're dealing with plastic, which is the way a lot of them come now, the plastic collars right. go all the way around. Just you know, by the end of the day, you like your neck is red, and you know, you go, it just feels nasty. You've been sweating on it, yeah. and you know, it's gross. And you so. don't need to bother with all those studs and little yeah, yeah. It takes you forever to put the thing and, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's why you go with the cotton one, like I have the full the full band cotton one. And it actually, the one I have looks like a shirt collar turned backwards like it originally was. So it does look a little strange. On to Father Matt. Uh, Gray Hulk or Green Hulk? I, I think the Green Hulk has to be the iconic Hulk. I mean, although, you know, he was originally gray. Um, but the, the, the Green Hulk is sort of the, the one... I I think green is just a, a more dynamic color, and gray gray Hulk. Correct me if I'm wrong. So when he's gray, he tends to be more intelligent. Right. Correct. So there was a while in the '80s or whatever when he was wearing like the bowler hat and stuff like that. Um, but he was basically Beast at that point. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I think the Green Hulk is you know Hulk Smash Rampage uncontrollable id you know like that's right. the that's the hulk you want then to go who's going to help hulk eat this ice cream oh sorry <laughs> saturday night live throwback friends <laughs> all right father jonathan your question is folk music with an f or folk music with a ph Obviously, folk music with a PH is the correct answer there. What did you... So he's. This is a little bit of an inside joke because Father Kyle knows I used to be in a band uh, before I uh, decided to uh, go to seminary and become a priest. And I was actually before I was even in the band, I was a rapper um, because obviously, those who've been listening to me, you can tell uh, I sound like. Uh, somebody who is pretty hardcore, you know, you you would. You have a smooth a flow. Anybody who's seen me obviously also knows that about me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I was I was a rapper. That was my first love, and then I got into to singing and and into contemporary folk music of all forms. And so when my band formed years ago, we used to do lots of different styles, but we we did a, we. We, they influenced each other. So we would have acoustic guitars on hip-hop records and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And so when people would ask us what our genre of music is, we would say it was folk, but then we would spell it with a PH, like the way you spell fat, you know, back uh. in the day when fat was something that people said, oh, that's fat, that's a fat track, you know. Um, for you kids out there, you can look that up on the Internet. I'm sure they, they tell you the history of what, what people used to say back in... Uh, you know, way back in the year 2000 when dinosaurs <laughs> roamed the earth. So, Father Matt, Rowan Williams or Justin Welby? I probably Rowan Williams only because uh, I'm more familiar with Rowan Williams with his work. He, you know, he, he he's written some um, some pretty excellent theology and and, and and books. And also, I mean, 
you know, Justin Welby's got nothing on those eyebrows. You know, <laughs> the, the Ron Williams eyebrows are, are all inspiring. For those who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, this is Rowan Williams was the last Archbishop of Canterbury. Justin Welby is the current Archbishop of Canterbury. And for Anglicans, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's the head bishop in, in England, is kind of the head bishop for the Anglican communion for all Anglicans. He's not like the Pope. He doesn't, you know, he can't uh, uh, tell us what to do or anything like that. But he's um, he's sort of the, the head pastor, if you like, of the hmm. whole Anglican world. All right, Father Jonathan, Chick-fil-A or KFC? Chick-fil-A, um, because, Father Kyle, I'm a good Christian. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, I would go with Chick-fil-A anyway, because I'm fairly sure that they put crack in the chicken, because it's the only thing that makes any sense for why I would crave it so much. So, so And I, he really does. After he stopped being a vegetarian, I had lunch with him, and he used to crave it. Seriously. Yeah. So I I have a, a a comic book association with Chick Fil A because um, when when I was a kid we would always my brother and I would go to Showcase Comics at the Grand Run Mall and we would go and pick up our folder full of comic books that we had set aside and then we would hit up Chick Fil A and that was like our weekly sort of ritual comic books and then Chick Fil A so the two wow. are are intertwined in, 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 in my mind. Chick-fil-A is one of the only things left in the Granite Run Mall at this point. It's sad. It's sad. I'm mm. so hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Father Matt. Yes. Jack Nicholson or Cesar Romero's version of the Joker? Oh, I, I think Jack Nicholson. Um, Jack Nicholson, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people... Uh, make a, a, a much ado about Heath Ledger's Joker, and he did do a fantastic job, but um, in my mind, Jack Nicholson will always be the Joker. Um, because, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker is unambiguously, like, murderous, crazy, um, you know, nihilist, all the things that we've been talking about. But Jack Nicholson's Joker has all of that, and then he has sort of the the absurd, you know, uh, clown prince of crime element to it as well. And so you have, you know, like the scene in the movie where he's destroying the art at the art museum and they're dancing the prince. I mean, that's it, it's, it's just an unforgettable moment. Um, and, you know, um, Jack Nicholson is just a, a, a dynamic actor and, and, and without, without peer. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have to say Jack Nicholson. Maybe if uh, Romero had actually shaved his mustache for the part <laughs> instead of just trying to cover it with makeup, that would make a difference. Well, you know, I did, I did hear that um, it wasn't Romero recently canonized by the Catholic Church. Uh, I think you're talking about the wrong Romero. Oh, oh, okay. okay. I, think so I, I had them momentarily mixed up in my mind. But how hilarious would it be if Cesar Romero, Romero dressed as the Joker, was actually facing down uh, gunfire in uh, uh, South America? Or uh, where was he? El Salvador? Is that where he was? I, I, I yeah. think so. Running, running into the church to rescue the blessed sacrament from uh, those who would, who would shoot him. You know, mm. 
wearing the purple outfit. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> There's the common element there. They both wear purple, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Wow, we just figured out how to mock a great uh, saintly figure. <laughs> you know. Um, anyway. Well, that will bring us to the end of yet another episode of God and Comics. I want to thank you all for listening and uh, thank everybody for being here today. Um, if you wouldn't mind, check us out at GodandComics.com. You can read more there. We put links up every week to stuff from the show. And uh, you can give the show another listen at that point. Uh, you can also check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show there. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and a review, we, we love that. It helps other people find the program. We're also available on Twitter and on Facebook to uh, interact with you all. And, and we love doing that. The theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right now, is provided by Father Paul Wheatley. And we will be hearing from you again shortly. So until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. And I'm Father Matt Stromberg. We'll see you next time. <laughs>